This is Football CFB, the home of unique football content. I never told you You scared off the vultures I never told you You scared off the ghosts living in my head That lay lonely in the dirt That Delighted to be joined on Football CFB today by former Manchester City Academy director Jim Cassell. Jim was at Manchester City for, for over two decades working with the academy and was influential in the development of players such as Joey Barton, Sean Wright Phillips, Daniel Sturridge, Mickey Richards and many others. First of all, Jim, it's great to have you and, and the obvious question I've got to start was you worked at Manchester City um, from the 90s onwards. You worked at the club when they were... Down in down in League One, as as we now know it, uh, was that the perfect time to work at City, given the 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 sort of push for for youth players when when you're at that level because the budget's tight. Um, you know, you're your strongest when you're at your weakest, and unfortunately, the club was most certainly at its weakest uh, around that period. I mean, we we hit rock bottom. We're at the lowest point in our history, and um, a little bit of wisdom from the board. I think we, uh, we should get get. Great uh, credit under the chairman of the day, David Bernstein, because they continued. Obviously, the club had to be revamped totally. The budgets were cut all over the place. But he, he re- recognised the fact that if we're going to come back as a club, we needed some stability and we needed some input from the academy. So therefore, our budget was retained. It wasn't reduced as others. Now, it wasn't a massive budget. It was only around about £490,000, £500,000, which is absolutely nothing in the modern day. But it was great. It was a great time to be at Man City because we knew it could only go one way and that was up. And um, lots of people, not just the academy, should get great credit because the whole club bought into our philosophy. And um, it was a, a terrific time to be there. You know, we we um, we enjoyed every minute of it. If a job had been handwritten for me, then the academy manager was it. It was perfect. So um, it wasn't a chore. It was never a chore. It was an absolute, um, it's an old cliche, but it's a privilege to work at that level. You know, if you're a Manchester lad and you get the opportunity to work at one of our two major clubs at that level, well, it's a privilege. And I loved every minute of it. It's sad when retirement age come and you've got to move on. But, you know, that's the next generation. And let's hope they go better than we do. And in terms of working at Manchester City as academy manager, as you say, what what's it like working with young players? And crucially as well, with that job title, academy manager, what does that look like on a day-to-day basis? Basically, it is it's a bit like what it says on the tin. You know, it's exactly that. You do manage the whole complex and you manage the whole structure. Um, we have 10 teams and I think... You know, if I could be critical, uh, which I hate to be, of other colleagues, that sometimes I think academy managers got a little bit too involved with just managing the under-18s team. They want to be a coach on the pitch. Now, obviously, I was a coach. That was uh, the nature of how I got into football. But I recognised the fact that you couldn't coach 10 teams. And basically what I did, I got a very good staff structure in. Alex Gibson was in charge of our coaching program program with Paul Power, Frankie Bunn and Stephen Ayres, a younger coach, joined us later. 
Um, and, and that was terrific because I could work with them and they were the physical bodies on the pitch. But make no mistake, the real key, if you split an academy into three sections, first of all, it's very much like visiting a hotel. If you visit a hotel and you don't like it, you will not go back. So the very first thing we needed to do was make the situation welcoming and make our customers, if you like, the players valued. Secondly, you had to have good coaching. And in those four people that I've just named, they were excellent coaches in the youth structure. And the third thing, which is the most important, really, but I'll leave it as the last thing, is your recruitment. Because you can only coach quality um, quality potential, quality talent. And, you know, we never actually produced a player in many ways. What we did do was develop potential in readiness to hand it over to the first team. And it's only when players play in the first team and can handle that environment do you know that you've done a reasonably good job. And in terms of yourself, how proud are you when you look at the players that you've been able to nurture through over the years when they go on to make it at Manchester City, or even if they don't make it at Manchester City as such, how proud are you when they go on and, and make careers in the game elsewhere? Well, I mean, I think that is it. That That's basically the nub of the job, was to try and create, help, people, help players achieve their potential, be as good as they can be. And um, it's funny, I was, I was speaking to Joey about his team's victory over uh, Burton Albion on Saturday. And I said, great result, good start to the season. And I said, in actual fact, the guy that scored against you was in our academy at one point, John Brayford. So those are little things. And John left about 14 or 15 and top marks to him for coming back and playing professional football. Because if you do, if you play any sport professionally, you're a good performer. If you play at the highest level, you're a very good performer. So, yeah, I, I see loads of our boys that have been through the academy. Yes, it's lovely to reel off the ones that have played at international level and so on. You know, currently we've got Trippier and even I'm going to claim a little bit of fame, uh, uh, praise on behalf of our academy for Philip Foden because he was in our under nines when I handed it over. So top marks to our recruitment team at uh, that time was um, Terry John was the guy that brought him in, you know. So again, under Barry Poynton, who was ahead of our recruitment uh, squad and Barry and I spent endless, endless hours together. And every time I had a problem, if there's one thing you need to get right, it's recruitment. So, you know, Barry was tops, a uh, great individual to work with, wouldn't stand fools, even me on occasion, so I had to accept that. But uh, he was terrific and he was excellent at his job, as I'd like to think, you know, all the staff were, because we, we bought into the idea of uh, trying to bring Man City back because they had an excellent use uh, set up structure in the 80s and uh, our job was to try and bring it back to that level which I think we did and um, you know obviously I'm quite envious now of the, of the guys that have got the job now because um, they've got a terrific platform to work from you know they've got a great base super training facilities um, and the whole structure there seems to be spot on so you know good luck to them let's hope they can uh, really uh, get the benefits that they, they probably all deserve. Just how important is it that as an academy manager, you have a, a close relationship or at least a strong working relationship with the first team manager so that he can trust you to, to develop those players and give them a realistic pathway? Yeah, I mean, um, it's quite funny, really, because I was lucky enough to work with seven managers or unlucky, if you like, because of the changeover. But that's the pressures of the job. Um, yes, I did eventually get good relations with them. Obviously, I wasn't a big name as a player. I played a couple of games in the third division. So, I mean, I was unknown, 
probably wearing glasses and so on as I did in later life. They probably thought I was a school teacher, which is no disrespect to a school teacher. But yes, you have to earn your stripes. And and one thing that the, you do do is the, the manager has to find you because all of a sudden the manager will realise, you know, um, hey, this guy and his team must be okay because they're sending us across good players. And, uh, you know, when you look at the number that played in our first team over the, the period that we were all together as an academy structure, I think that that's the relationship that you have. You don't need to be big buddies. I mean, uh, funny enough, even this morning, I had a, um, a coffee with Joe Royal, who was one of the seven managers that I worked with. And I worked with Joe at Oldham. So he, he's more of a friend, shall we say, than the others. I did enjoy working with every single one of them. They're all different personalities. Um, you know, uh, terrific, um, uh, you know, with, with uh, Sven Goran Eriksson, who was uh, very amenable and easy. Kevin Keegan, fantastic, great supporter of what we did. And, of course, I had the link with the board through Dennis Stewart, who was another ex-Man City player and played at the highest level. And, uh, again, I didn't know Dennis before I went to the club. We became colleagues, first of all. And now we're not only ex-colleagues, but good friends. So, you know, that's what football does for you. Football people. And I think, from my point of view, to be sort of accepted by the Kevin Keegans, who was, you know, you don't need to explain anything about Kevin. Dennis, Joe Royal and all these people who are international players, to be accepted as being OK at what you do, I think was a nice sort of, um, it's a nice, it gives you a nice feel. You know, you've been accepted. In terms of yourself, um, I mentioned off air before we started that I was lucky enough to, to spend six hours <laughs> with Joey Barton um, this year. And, and Joey was, was fascinating to listen to. He spoke about his playing career. Um, he spoke very highly of yourself and, and the role that you played in him coming through at Manchester City. He's now on to be a manager. So that's probably really the next stage of question for yourself, Jim. You've, you've, you've seen and watched many of your players go on to be internationals, be top-level players, but they're now going on to be managers as well. How proud does that make you? Well, I, I'm going to put a bit of pressure on Joey because, um, I, I, you know, obviously I said to him, we've been lucky enough to produce champion, um, English league players, players that have played abroad. We've produced international players. We've produced football league managers. We haven't produced a premiership manager now I said Joe you're only 37 I'm going to put the pressure on you to become a premiership manager so that's a bit of fun we have between us you know he's certainly got the football knowledge that's there's no doubt in my mind on that he's got the passion he's got the drive he's got the ability that he wants to and the desire to learn obviously let's hope at some point that the opportunity comes and uh, Make no mistake, he's got his hands full managing Fleetwood, who are a very, very progressive club with great um, ownership and uh, leadership throughout the club. Um, so it's not a small job, and he manages on a very tight budget. Um, so, you know, I would say probably Fleetwood have punched well above the weight in recent times, and that's down to all the people at the club, and Joe is the head of the football side of it, so that's great. But it would be wonderful to see, you know, we've got some good English managers, you know, Chris Wilder has done a fantastic job at Sheffield United, just to, just to name him, you know, um, uh, Dean Smith at Aston Villa's English and coming through. You know, I thought Eddie Howe was fantastic at uh, what he did at Bournemouth. So why not? Why not Joey Barton being the next young English manager to break through? He's uh, he's he's gaining the credentials. He's gaining the respect of the game. Uh, I know from watching him work, he's got uh, good man management skills, 
Um, so there's there's no reason at all why Joey can't achieve at management level what he did at uh, player level. One of the things about um, working within an academy, and I've spoken to a few people about this, and they always say that everyone loves giving the good news, but it takes a, 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 a certain kind of person to to be able to deliver the bad news, which obviously comes for for for, for some youngsters. You mentioned John Brayford, who leaves Manchester yeah. City, but goes on to have a career and a very good career at that as well. What's it like? When, well, how did you find it when you had to deliver the news that someone w- was leaving the club? I think it's. Um, I think if you're honest, and uh, never once in my tenure as uh, academy manager at Manchester City did I have any problems or any criticism from a parent when I had to say, look, you know, nobody is ever told they're not a bad player because they're all good players, right? And I'll give you a great example of a decision that was made for all the right reasons. And uh, Wayne Hennessy, funny enough, who played in goals for Crystal Palace last night, Wayne Hennessy is in the same age group as Casper Smeichel. So we had to make a decision. We only had one team. Now, you couldn't have two keepers. You would, you would have prevented development. And Chris Evans, who was academy manager at Wolverhampton, always liked uh, Wayne Hennessy because Chris is Welsh and he's Welsh. And he went to Wolves. So first of all, top marks to Chris for knowing where he was. Top marks for us for speaking to Wayne and saying, look, you know, we don't want to hinder your career by stagnating it at this level. And I, I remember having his parents in the office and I said, you will play for Wales. There's no doubt in my mind. So that doesn't mean to say that Man City missed Wayne Hennessy. You know, Smeichel has proven himself and everybody knows what he is. He's a terrific keeper, gone on to play international football, won a premiership medal. And Wayne Hennessy is playing in the premiership. So that's the type of thing. And if you know your players, and that's why I was saying very early in our discussion, you don't need to be out on the pitch all the time. I always was with the under-18s and the youth side, always, right, along with Alex Gibson. We did it together. Alex was the day-to-day coach and fantastic at it. Obviously, the final decisions came to the academy manager because when things go wrong, that's when you're in charge. So, you know, we, we take a little bit of credit as well. But I was as, as interested in our under-9s. You used to train on a Friday night. I was always there because you don't lose ever a young boy from the club. What you do lose is his family. So you needed to get to know his family. So a lot of my time would be watching the training on a Friday night, the young boys, looking at potential. I remember Philip Foden coming into our junior academy, just as he's currently topical. Um, and, and that's what you do. You need to know all the all the, the players. And you keep in touch with the parents. I knew them all on first-name terms. And when the time comes, they, they're never released because they're not good enough. They're released because, if we have to say, look, many of them we, we, we were able to sort out with other clubs. Um, but basically, it, it would be wrong of us to, first of all, not consider their other options, i.e. if they're academic or whatever. Um, they may not be a premiership club uh, player, possibly a player at Man City. They may not have been able to handle the bigger environment. But we always said, look, you know, people develop differently. I'm sure you and I could name, because you're Scottish and I'm English, uh, a team of players that have gone on to international football that were released at 15 and 16 by clubs. So nobody is infallible with their decision making. Um, But if if you're honest and you're up front, and I I would always um, personally deal, or the senior staff would always deal with anybody that was, you know, their time had sort of, uh, come to the end. I mean, it happens to me. Yeah, you know, as a member of staff, you you get to the point where that's your time and that's it. And you you wish the next um, generation of coaches, academy managers, the very best. And 
you know, I mean, Joey himself, who we've talked about, Joey was released at Everton and came to us and uh, he went on and he played a game against Spain for England. So, and he played many years in the Premiership for a number of clubs um, and had a very, very successful career. So, you know, I would never criticize, criticize somebody for releasing because you can only take them on the potential they've got then, you know, and um, sometimes other clubs are the beneficiaries, you know, so... Um, that's the way it goes and it goes further up the line as well you know you take an example of Ben Mee and Kieran Trippier Ben captain of Burnley fantastic uh, career um, played one game for Man City's first team at West Brom in a League Cup tie Trippier never played in Man City's first team other than a friendly game in, at Barcelona um, but you know he's now in, in possession of the of the fullback position with the England side. So, you know, he's had a terrific career, but he had to, you know, don't criticise Man City because at the time he was competing against Sab Letter and Micah Richards. So his career had to uh, would have stagnated unless he went on. And he went to Burnley as a stepping stone in the nicest possible way. Tottenham came in for him. The rest is history. He's playing for England, now Atletico Madrid. So there are various means of getting to the top. One of the unique elements I want to ask you about, um, I don't know if you've been asked this before, I imagine you may have, with Sean Wright Phillips, with Casper Michael Bradley Wright Phillips, what's it like when you're working with players at a young age that have got famous parents or famous family members who have been high-profile players because the inevitable thing that happens is they're instantly compared, which some of the time can be can be rather unfair? Um well, I tell you, I, I never felt that um, Casper Michael was always a very strong personality. And I'm sure uh, we never, ever discussed it. I mean, I remember uh, his first game for Man City was an under-17s game against Leicester City, funny enough. And he saved a penalty in that game. <laughs> and, um, you know, I, I think a lot of credit should go to his dad. He was always there, a supporter, as the whole family were. But they were never, never uh, in trying to interfere in any shape or form. Casper was a great trainer, as was Wright Phillips. Is. They, they were excellent. I mean, they, they, you know, it's the old saying, they, they trained like they wanted to play. <clears throat> they were fantastic. So there was never, never an issue in terms of uh, famous parents, if you like. Um, you know, obviously, before my time, the Brightwells were at City and, you know, they, they had famous parents as athletes. Ann Packer won the gold medal in 1960 Olympics, you know. Um, and the dad was a 400-meter runner. So, you know, yes, you have you do have famous parents. I've got to say, in those cases that you just highlighted, um, all I can say to the parents is they were great supports. They never tried to interfere. And, uh, <coughs> excuse me, the, the players themselves had great attitudes. You know, I mean, uh, it, it was just... Um, it was just a unique experience. I mean, I, I, like I said to you at the start, um, it was a, a job handwritten for me, and I loved every single minute of it. I, I wish I was still, you know, um, change my birth certificate or something and pretend I'm younger and stay in there, but you're not. You know, it's a, it was great. Loved every minute of it. And uh, to answer your question properly, yes, they, they were they were supports, not any hindrance. I was lucky to speak to Sven Joran Eriksson recently and, and I asked him about a young player that I know you've been asked about, Jim, quite a few times. And I, I think, to, to to be fair to the guy I'm about to mention, I think a lot of people like to talk about him because of what he could have been and the talent that he had. And, and that man is Michael Johnson. When I spoke to Sven, Sven said, one of the most talented young players I ever worked with, and that includes his spell in Italy, the England national team. He just said the boy seemed as if he had the world at his feet. 
Well, um, I'm pleased to hear Sven say that because I, I would I would never actually you can't say out of our boys that went through who was the best. <clears throat> However, I, I would say that Michael Johnson was the complete uh, midfielder for me. You know, he could make a goal, score a goal, stop a goal. He was easy on the eye. He was great looking on the pitch. He could pass a ball long. He could he could link play. He had the lot. He could accelerate. He could see things. So he had great vision. And it was a tragedy, really, that Michael picked up an injury when he did, because you, you probably know with all the coverage of sport that you do, that um, injuries, you don't get uh, time to recover now in the modern game. The, there's a terrific turnover of managers who are under pressure to hit the ground running. You're basically, every manager is three months away from the sack, no matter how, how, many, uh, how many years they've got on the contract. Um, and, and they, you know, Clearly, Sven Goran Eriksson rated Michael very highly, and he he had his best spell when Sven was manager. He was unfortunate because I know the next manager, Mark Hughes, rated him highly as well. But he was unfortunate that he had this injury that wouldn't um, uh, go away, type of thing. And um, Michael was a real sufferer of that because uh, the game sort of went away from him. And uh, you know, he he he'd retired or was you know, finished with injury miles too early because, in my mind, he, he could have played for the national team for a long time. And, um, you know, he had so many attributes to his game. He was fantastic. And uh, an absolutely quiet, gentle lad off the pitch. But on it, you could give him the ball anywhere. He was, you know, that's, you know, people talk about bravery. Well, bravery is having in different shapes, isn't it? You know, and he, he was brave because he would take the ball. And I can still remember two of his great goals, one against Aston Villa, one against Derby County, where he played a link-up play with Alano. You know, we go on about Brazilians, and he went by and he bent it around the keeper with the outside of his foot. Now, you know, you, you don't have to um, you don't have to think about those things. They're in your mind permanently. He was fantastic. One of the, play, the players you worked with, who's very topical now, he retired before, maybe you, you would have anticipated he would have, is Micah Richards. He's been yep. on to be a very, I think, a very impressive and very articulate pundit. And I know you've maybe heard this, he talked about bursting onto the scene and Roy Keane had a bit of a laugh with him, but he genuinely did burst onto the scene when you think how young he was when he played for City, when he played for England and he was a real powerhouse of a defender who, at that time when he was coming through, any team in the Premier League or even European football would have loved to have had him. Terrific. Again, you know, uh, the demands of the game, the pace of the game, the uh, the intensity, whatever you, whatever you want to say, the intensity of training, because you you cannot um, you cannot slide any any day. You know, every day is a race to be better than the the opposition. And Micah did. He, he, he came to us um, from Oldham Athletic. He was at Oldham Athletic and he came to us as a sort of 12, 13-year-old. Um, and um, he was like Bambi on ice. You know, his, his legs weren't his own. Um, and I always have this saying that sometimes players are made in the summer when they sort of strengthen up. And Micah went very quickly, 14, 15, where he was still leggy. And, um, uh, you know, I... I don't think he'll be offended if I say this. He didn't have the best feet in the world for passing the ball. However, he was a superb athlete and um, a great header of the ball. And I remember watching him on Platte Lane one night and um, uh, I stood with the coaches. I stood with Frankie Bunn and Paul Power and we said, look, you know, um, what do you think? And both of them said he's a fantastic athlete. And, you know, he went on to be a, a great defender in his time. Too short a career. But, you know, you can't do anything about 
your, the, the structure of your bones. It was a knee problem that finished his career. Um, uh, not only uh, an exceptionally good uh, player and a very good defender, could have been better, relied on his pace and his strength too much because he didn't, um, he always felt he could back himself to pull a yard back on anybody, you know. So um, he, he, I, I, feel, I feel that we could have got even more out of Micah. But, you know, I'm so pleased that, he, you know, many players get criticised. He's now carving out a career in, in um, you know, uh, as an analyst, an analyst and, um, uh, and punter on the TV. He's, uh, he's got a nice manner. He comes over well. And, uh, you know, good luck to him in that career. I think he'll, he'll do very well. And, uh, you know, he's young. He looks great in front of the camera. Um, but I'd have loved him to have played longer. Very similar to Michael Johnson. You know, you, you get left behind sometimes with injuries. And uh, he did try and change careers, change clubs to try and uh, kick his um, career forward again. But once the injuries start niggling away, it's very difficult. And, uh, yeah, he should have got more caps, no doubt at all on that. Um, and again, a little bit unfortunate because Pablo Sabletta came to the club and for two seasons was probably the best right back in the country. So, you know, that was Micah's best position. Uh, so if you if you ally that with the injuries that he was having at the time, it's not surprising that he didn't do as well as we all hoped he would. But how can you knock someone that's played for your country, one of the youngest defenders ever, and has got a fantastic career going now? So if that's failure, I'll have a, I'll have a slice of failure. <laughs> Absolutely, completely agree. I think yeah. I think he should be proud of what he's achieved yeah, and what he's, he's doing. Terrific. He's a he's a great lad as well. He's he he is exactly the same now. Uh, I met him a few uh, just last season, and uh, he's the same now as the young kid that came to the club. He's no edge. He's great and uh, good good for him. I'm delighted. One of the things that I, I want to get your opinion on because managers. Um, St Alex Ferguson um, mentioned that Pep Guardiola, of course, the current Manchester City man, the manager, has mentioned that Harry Redknapp, another one who's managed in the Premier League for many years, has mentioned that it's the fact that they feel that young players need to be challenged sooner by going to play quote unquote men's football rather than being in the under 23s team maybe for a period of two, three, four years. What's your opinion of that, having worked with young players? Okay, well, I'm, I was not the biggest fan of the. Um... E triple P, right? I think that um, I, I think that the idea was good. It didn't quite work, and sometimes you know that happens in life, doesn't it? Uh, the, the 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 managers that you've just quoted are absolutely right. They can't be um, put under pressure to play young players for potential because their jobs, and not only their jobs, they've got huge responsibility because they rep actually represent the fans because they've got to get the results. And people sometimes forget the importance of fans in a club. Yes, we do have people taking over our clubs with plenty of money and, and doing fantastic work and building the structure, the infrastructure around the grounds, etc. But at the end of the day, the fan really, in my opinion, owns the club because without him, you've got nothing. The players first, then fans. So the managers are absolutely right. I think that uh, why we were okay uh, in our time at Man City was, first of all, you know, the club didn't have the, the quality of first-team player squad that they've got now, so therefore it was slightly easier for the boys to get in. But many of the boys that did get in would have would have been squad players now. There's no doubt they were good enough. Um, so that that was a massive plus in them, in them um, getting that chance. Secondly, we recognised the fact that we were playing academy football 
and we needed as well to to get a few boys that can handle an elbow and i mean this in the nicest way you know in other words men's football so what we did we joined uh, we had the academy team so you could play man united liverpool etc on a saturday but on a wednesday night we'd play in what was the old central league type of thing and we would play against um uh, accrington stanley um uh, wrexham and teams like this who would play Pros that were, you know, they had to play on a midweek to keep their fitness. And they knew the game and they knew how to mess the boys around. So you got the best of both worlds. Uh, I use the, the expression elbows. They weren't elbows, but it was just to show how tough they needed to be. It was a totally different education. And uh, I think that was one of the best things we did because we played them in men's league on a Wednesday night. And then we played the very clever academic stuff, if you like, of playing against really top-class young players coming into the game at Liverpool's Man United, Everton, etc. So they got the best of everything. And uh, But make no mistake, the Wednesday night games, playing against uh, ex-pros who were in the 30s, who were still wanting, had a great attitude to it, was a massive, um, a massive learning uh, base for the players. So, you know, that's the way we did it. Um, I, I, I think that, um, first of all as well, not only did it give them a different type of player to play against, it was a different environment. Because, you know, you weren't playing on super smooth pitches. You know, you uh, for instance, uh, I'm trying to think who would... Rochdale we played, and we played at Rosendale United's ground. Now, you know, unfortunately, Rosendale have folded now, but um, uh, that was a, it, you know, it was a, a midweek game. Lights weren't great. The pitch wasn't great. But Keith Hill was out uh, as manager of Rochdale watching his players, and we'd chat about the, the, the potential. I remember we lost 5-1. With good players, but they were potentially good players. And what it did, it showed them the other side of the game. You know, the dressing rooms weren't warm. It wasn't uh, like they were in luxury. So that was what we wanted to do. It was all part of this learning environment because football isn't just all about the technical side. It's about handling the environment, the occasion, knowing what it's about, learning the trade. And that's why I always say that if you're a pro player, you're a good player. If you're an international player, premiership player, you're a very good player. I don't want to make you feel old here, Jim, and I apologise uh-huh. if, if I'm doing so. When you were at Manchester City, through the, the span of your career at City, City as a club changed. Lots more money came into the club through the takeover, through the Premier League TV money. But that's not just City, that's many clubs in England because of the TV money. Did you notice a difference with young players coming through when it came to wages? Maybe that they were getting too much too soon? Was it something that, as an academy manager you started to find that it was tougher to maybe, I don't want to say keep boys and players focused because, of course, they dream of being professionals. But is there that danger, especially now that young players can look at the the finished article in the TV and think, I want the fancy car, I want the fancy house, without really realising that to get there, you really need to work hard at the football first and foremost? Yeah, I think we were we were lucky in that respect because obviously, as I said to you at the start of the interview, we we started from a low base. We couldn't have been any lower, uh, lowest point in the club's history. Um, and what we did, we sold opportunity because we shared our facility at Platt Lane, which was a, a community-based training ground. We didn't have the the isolation of the fantastic facility that, that now at um, the, the Etihad Stadium complex. Um, so it, it wasn't difficult for us. We probably punched above our weight because we got players that we've probably got no right to sign as young players. Um, and what we did do, um, obviously my link was with Dennis Stewart with the board. And um, Dennis, because he'd come through the system at Sunderland, he, 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 or it'd be many years ago, 
understood youth development and what we would do we would have what we call development contracts so I would go to Dennis and say look I think such a player's got a chance of uh, being in the first team next year he's on shall we say hypothetically 300 pound now let's put him on 500 pound so that was a development contract can you imagine if the manager of the academy and, and one of the directors of the club comes to you and say look I want you to bring your parents in we're going to upgrade your contract there was never an issue now I can't speak too much about my time since I finished there because obviously I'm not privy to all the information but clearly the world has changed um, people almost want contracts for failing don't they and it must be very very difficult to uh, to have to deal with that but that's the changing world and the people that are best at it are the ones that manage change so you know uh, it, it is what it is you've got to manage it it's probably not right um, yes it's an easy way to say for when you're discussing it, yeah, they get too much money too soon. But, you know, um, I, I just think that anybody that wants to be a player is going to be a player anyhow. And, um, you know, you you do need to, um, this is when I talk about the environment, you create that environment that players want to be in. You know, money is your bonus for it. To play football, to play any sport at a high level is the greatest gift you can have. So I would always encourage uh, that. And and that's why, you know, when I went back to knowing all the under nines, knowing the parents, we used to, we because, you know, when you think about it, it was easy for the academy manager. He had them for a few hours a day. The parents have got them for all, all their life. So therefore, we needed to manage the players with the parents and we needed to know, know what they did away from the ground and um, so it was a combined effort. It wasn't, you know, Mr. Gloria who does this or something. I, I, I felt that, and I used to say this to the players, you're more important than us because we need you. You don't need us. We need you uh, because if you're successful, we all stay in work for a start. But basically, we had a great structure in place. We, we, we had challenge because you need challenge in absolutely any form of management as far as I'm concerned. We challenged each other, but challenged each other constructively. And, um, and the players knew every day was a race to be better than somebody else. Because if you don't, that's what elitism is about. It's, it's, um, you know, it, it's a very difficult profession. People say about, oh, well, they play cricket, they play football tell you to play at a competitive level every single day you need to be tough you need to be strong because you're going to play in front of 50,000 people and if you can't stand uh, criticism or the manager being able to pull you aside or do the simple things under pressure you are not going to have a career in the game so that was part of our you know part of our job really was to develop the complete person uh, as an individual as well as a, a technical footballer. Last two questions for you, Jim. Um, this one, I think, is a broad question, but I think you're the perfect person to answer it because of the players you've worked with. What advice would you give to any young players who are wanting to make their way in the game now with, with the world the way it is? Excuse me. Sorry about that. That's my son ringing. I didn't, I didn't realise the phone was there. Um, I would say to any player now, first of all, the, the one thing that you've got to do is absolutely love playing football, right? If you don't love it, don't go and do something else. You've got to love football. Secondly, you've got to be dedicated. You've got to be passionate. And, you know, you've got to also accept that failure does not exist. And I'll qualify that because you might not reach the level that you're aiming for. But if you've given yourself the best chance and you've been honest with yourself and you do all the right things, you have not failed. OK, so that's what we used to say. And I used to also say to them, to the boys, 
don't believe that success belongs to anybody else. It belongs to you. And the fans at, at most clubs, or all clubs, I would say, are desperate for young players who have grown up in the club to come through. That's why they love them so much. So, and and I would also say, take advice from the best people. Don't let people use you. You use other people, and by that I don't mean use them in that sense. I mean take the best advice. There's a lot of very, very good people. There's a lot of very good coaches, good young managers in our game, and there's a lot of really good advice. There is, sadly, uh, people that want to tag on to shirt tails of people that do well and earn a living off somebody else's success. But So I would say be careful of that, but basically play the game because you want to be the best, and the finance rewards come with success. Don't think you're successful because you go score a goal or you have a good game. You're not. You know, when you're 35 and everybody says, what a great player, that's when I think you've been successful. So that's what I would say to them. You know, in other words, just live right. That's it. Brilliant. Great advice. And the last question I've got for you, you you've talked there about what it was like at Manchester City, the players coming through, your role on a day-to-day basis, liaison with managers and so much more. You clearly love football. That comes through in this interview. What has your life been like since you left Manchester City and, and um, when it comes to football? Well, it's, it's been okay, yeah. I mean, um, I, I've got lots of interests. Uh, I, I mean, before I came into football full-time again, I was like, changed careers at 44, 45. Um, I worked for local authorities, so horticulture is a great uh, interest of mine. Um, you know, we've mentioned Joey Barton, and I'm currently doing a little bit helping out with Joey at Fleetwood. You know, we're working... Um, together on different things, I, I, I would say in the nicest way. I'm a, I'm a hanger on, just in there um, because it's great to be. Joe's got great enthusiasm, so we love that. Um, and I, 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 I love watching um, uh, as much sport as possible, you know. So yeah, I, I had a little hiccup with um, a health problem a couple of years ago when I had cancer, so I've got over that, uh, which took a year out of my life. Um, no problem, nobody's fault. The medical team were fantastic, and uh, I took my own advice. I was the best patient you could be for them, and it, it worked, you know. So, so that's great. Um, uh, you know, I'm still young, I'm only 73, so I've got loads to offer, and um, I can't wait to do it. It's, it's great. I've been uh, so lucky to have had the time at Man City working with top people, top players at a top club. So, I don't think you can ask for more than that, you know. So, uh, I've been I've been very fortunate. I have to say it's been an absolute pleasure and an education for me speaking to you, Jim. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Pleasure for me as well. Thanks, Callum. So we'll dive down to the ocean and we'll make our home in a deep sea cave and our shells will all be open. They'll be filled with song, they'll be filled with song. We'll dive down to the ocean and we'll make our home in Shells will all be open. They'll be filled with song. They'll 